Hey everyone, and thank you so much for joining us for this message online. This last week, I was reading a story about a famous quote by Benjamin Franklin, who said, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And I was reading about the backstory. Apparently, Philadelphia was going through a season where they were dealing with way too many fires. So Benjamin Franklin was praising the firemen and the workers for working so hard. And they knew they had to do something about it. So instead of simply training the firemen to work harder and do their job better, they decided to train the average person on fire preventative measures and the kinds of things that they could do with a small fire before needing to call in the fire department because the fire's gotten out of control. And so you can imagine that this short work of prevention prevented the fires in Philadelphia from going out of control. And that's what we're going to be doing in today's message. We're doing a series called His Last Words, which is based on Jesus' high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. Jesus is about to be arrested. He is about to die. And so this prayer of his carries an incredible weight. And as he starts praying, Sermon 1, we saw that he prays for his glory and the, and the glory of God. Secondly, he prays for his disciples, his 12 disciples. Then last week, we saw that Jesus prays for unity. Unity amongst us out of the millions of things that Jesus could have prayed for in this moment of his life. He decided to pray for unity. But just notice where he starts. He doesn't start off by saying, listen, guys, you're my children. Just try and get along. No, first of all, he recognizes that there is a unity in God. There's a unity himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are an eternal community of love in this unity. And that's where he starts. The Father is me and I am in him. And then he prays, may they be in us. And so only once he's established who he is as God in unity, does he invite us into this community of love so that we too can enjoy this unity. And then only do we get to this week's message where we're going to be speaking about how we can experience unity as a church. And just by the way, next week, we're going to be talking about how we can experience unity with other believers across multiple multiple denominations and cultures. So we're going to read the same passage as last week, but I'm going to highlight some of the important elements from this passage that are for us today. So if you have your Bibles, always great to have your own Bibles. John chapter 17 verses 20 onwards, where Jesus says, My prayer is not for them alone. He's not only praying for those first 12. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's where he transitions to praying for you and for me. Verse 21, that all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. There's the divine unity. May they also be in us. Listen, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Here we see one of the reasons why Jesus is praying for unity. He knows that unity preachers. He knows when the world sees unity in the church, that says something about who God is. 
Now, I've just written a book, The Reason for Everything, helping people overcome their obstacles to faith. But Jesus is saying, listen, you want to show the world who I am? Show me unity in the church. Show me unity amongst my children. When you were growing up, I don't know if you ever had those friends. You know, those friends you had the house that everyone wanted to go to. Now, I know that might be for different reasons. Some of you had the friend, you'd go to their house because you could get away with anything there. Other people, you had the friend, you could go to their house because they had the cool games and they had all the toys and all the cool stuff. But some people, you went to their house because they had a cool family. Man, they all just got along. You felt welcomed and loved and blessed and loved on. And for that reason, you loved going there. But then I'm sure you also had those friends. And I apologize if this was your family where people would come around and it was absolute chaos, but not nice kind of fun chaos but dad screaming at mom mom's on her fourth glass of wine no one's getting along everyone's upset you can't go into anyone's room so next time you're invited to their home you're thinking of every reason not to go there now i mentioned last week that one of the biggest reasons that some people don't want to come to faith in christ is because we're saying god is love god loves me god loves you Come be part of our family. And so they stick their head inside our home, our metaphorical home. And they see us arguing and fighting. And they see us cursing each other and shouting at each other online. And they're just saying, listen, I don't want anything to do with that. And we've got to understand that this is a primary reason for Jesus. This is a primary concern of his, that we experience and express unity in the church. I'm going to carry on reading from verse 22. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one, that they may be one, as we are one. I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity. To let the world know that you have sent me. To let the world know. That you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Such a priority for Jesus, but so difficult for us to actually work out in practice. Now, I just want to tell you on the front end, we're going to cover a lot of ground today, but it's going to be good stuff. So hang on. It's going to be a good ride. But we need to wrap our minds around some of the challenges to us experiencing unity within the church. And you know what? Unity is not going to happen automatically. God doesn't just let us loose and automatically there's going to be unity in the church or unity in our church. In fact, we see quite the opposite. So we need to be alert to some of the challenges. We need to be aware of some of the pitfalls so that we don't fall into them. I heard this metaphor recently about someone who said, if you know there's a lion outside, I mean, he may be there, he may not be there, but you know there's a good chance there's a lion outside. Guess what? You're not going outside for any reason. You're not going outside for a swim, to play cricket in the garden, or even to pick something up. You're staying inside because you're aware of the danger. And if we become aware of some of the dangers that are working against our unity, we can be vigilant and hopefully stronger for that. So let's firstly talk about the challenge of external pressures. 
the challenge of external pressures that we're going to experience as a church. And just by the way, if you're listening online and you're from another local church, you can apply these same truths into your local church. But as far as the external pressures goes, I've got some bad news for you, but I feel like it's my responsibility to prepare you. Guys, things are going to get tougher, not easier. And I'm not primarily talking about the average person in the world or the average person in South Africa. I'm talking about for us as Christians. Culture is changing. For decades, we experienced a a, a slight disparity between who we're called to be and what the culture kind of looks like. But that disparity is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And so where culture is going and where God is calling us to be counter-cultural, He's going to call greater courage from us. He's going to require us to dig down deeper roots so that we can be that counter-cultural salt and light presence in this world. But it does mean we are going to be different from culture. It does mean we're going to be a peculiar people. It does mean that the culture is going to look at us and misunderstand us and judge us and at times hate us. And yes, things are going to get tougher for us, not easier. Already we're seeing legislation which is coming against religious organizations that is making it more and more difficult for us to believe and speak about and live out some of the things that we actually believe. Then we've had the experience of COVID. Talk about an external pressure point. I mean, what has COVID done for us? Every single one of us knows many people who have died. Every single one of us is experiencing negative uh, uh, economical implications of COVID. And every single one of us is experiencing the pressure cooker environment of COVID. Let me ask you. As a result of everything that's happened in the last 15 to 18 months, how many of you have experienced higher levels of anxiety, higher levels of doubt in your faith, higher levels of loneliness, higher levels of tension in your friendships or in your marriage? COVID had just created such a hostile environment. And so these are pressurizing us and are making it so difficult for us to experience unity as a church. Then there's going to be the challenge of internal pressures. Guys, I know it is so hard to, as a church, as Riverside Community Church, to experience our unity right now. We've got lockdowns. We've got social distancing, right? We've got, uh, everyone's got their own stuff and their own difficulties that are going on. And something that we as a church are uniquely experiencing is that often when the other churches start to meet, so all of our friends are going back to their churches, not only do we need to listen to our presidents and just see what's going on in terms of the rates of infections, we're using somebody else's facility and, and they too have to be wise with regards to some of their policies. And so, yes, sometimes that means we as a church are online longer than many of the churches around us. And we are frustrated by that. We are tired of that. We are tired of trying to keep our morale up by doing church online. We are tired of trying to connect as life groups and feel like we're part of a community. I get that. And then on top of all of that, in terms of internal pressure coming from the outside, we're starting to experience the reality that people we know and love and trust, 
think differently about some of these hot potato topics, right? So we've got people in our lives who think differently to me about vaccination, about needing to wear a mask, about all of these end times discussions that have been going on around the world, right? Well, one of the other sets of internal pressures that, or challenges that we're going to experience are the sets of expectations we bring to the church. Now, some of these expectations are good and fair and biblical and godly. Some of them come out of my own brokenness. But if you're living and breathing, I pretty much guarantee that you feel that some of your expectations have not been met. Whether fair or not, they've been your expectations. And so maybe people around you have let you down. Maybe you feel like leadership has let you down. Maybe we feel like you've let us down. I was listening to a podcast with American apologist and pastor Timothy Keller, and he was just talking about some of what he's discovering as he has all these conversations with pastors around the world. And he was seeing how morale amongst pastors were so low. And the reason was that they're just feeling like they're not doing a good job. And they're so used to a normal flow of doing ministry and people encouraging them. And let me just say, this is not a cry for help. This is an observation of the world we're living in right now. But people are so used to experiencing regular encouragement because they're doing a great job. And we're not experiencing that encouragement. Why? Because he says the honest truth is we're not doing a great job. We are sinking, right? No one was trained for how to do church in a pandemic. And yes, everyone is trying their utmost best to be faithful to the call in God's lives. But guys, churches are closing. I was reading a stat by David Kinnaman, a Christian researcher the other day. He was saying that 29% of pastors have come this close to quitting in the last year. That's over one in four pastors. And why? Because of the internal pressures that are magnified by all the external pressures at the moment. Because of conflict. Because of lack of encouragement. Because just a lack of, I I feel like I'm dropping the ball. And often because in many ways we are dropping the ball. I mean, I know personally of churches that are dying and are hemorrhaging because of these kinds of pressures. And it is extremely challenging to the unity that Jesus is praying for. And so we've got the challenge of external pressures, internal pressures. And then we've got the challenge of individualism. Now, as I explain this to you, some of you are going to say, Stephen, that sounds like a good thing because individualism has become the air we breathe. It is what we assume all of life should be. You see, today it's all about express yourself. Speak your truth, right? Don't let anybody else tell you who you should be. Be yourself. And on one hand, there is some good truth in that. I mean, God, yes. God has uniquely made you to occupy a unique role in this world. And he does want to uniquely work in you and through you. And there's a healthy way to see that. But where culture is at the moment is not trying to hold this in good healthy tension, but rather it's become about, it's all about you and me. It's all about me, 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 me. I mean, the highest 
current cultural value at the moment is be authentic. And anybody who challenges your authenticity, well, we need to cancel them. Whether it's a church or an organization or a newsfeed or a friend or even my family. If they restrict my sense of who I am and my authenticity, I get to cancel them. Right? I mean, this is literally every Disney movie that has ever been created recently. I'm not saying don't watch Disney movies, but it's all about don't let these other structures and cultures dictate who you are. Be yourself, be authentic, express yourself. It's all about your truth, right? Now, the problem with that is, yes, God has placed so much unique stuff in you and God has uniquely made you. However, you have been born into an external world. You have been born into a family, into a culture, sometimes into a church family. And while on one hand, you have some great stuff that God wants to do in your life uniquely, there's also your sin and your brokenness and your baggage. And in the same way, there is a sense of fallenness about family, about even church organizations, about cultures. But instead of throwing the baby out with the bathwater, there are roles, redemptive roles, that God wants to use these external structures for to shape you and to mature you. We need this external world as we engage with the people around us. And so if authenticity and self-expression is the highest value, just logically think about where that leads. If you are increasingly going to be defined by everything and exclusively what you find inside of yourself, rejecting everything out there and everything that opposes something that you find in you, let's see where that leads. Increasingly, you're going to have less of an experience of community because you have less of stuff in common with people. You are going to be increasingly, uh, I am right and you are wrong. And where this leads is loneliness. Authenticity, self-expression, self-actualization, pushed to its eventual extreme, leads to loneliness. And that is such a challenge for our unity as a church. And then finally, there's a challenge of an enemy that hates unity. Think about it. If unity is the thing that Jesus prays for when he gets to this part of his ministry, guess what the enemy hates? If Jesus prioritizes unity, the enemy hates unity. And this is how he works. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So how does a lion take down its prey? Does it look for the biggest, boldest impala and try and take it out in the middle of the herd? No, it divides the herd. It isolates an individual. It looks for the weak. And that is exactly how the enemy is working right now. Now, maybe you push back saying, Stephen, you know what? I've actually enjoyed being a little bit more self-focused. I've actually been uh, enjoyed my time kind of away from this corporate thing called church. I've actually enjoyed being less engaged. 
Well, here's the thing. My goal is not to try and force anyone to feel like they need to go to church or feel part of a church. My goal is how do we live out this unity that Jesus prioritizes? And how do we recognize that we have an enemy out there that when we are isolating and separating ourselves, we are exactly where our enemy wants us to be. And while maybe that doesn't always mean I lose my faith and abandon Jesus, sometimes it's going to create a rise in some of the more accommodating sins like like pride and self-righteousness. Look at my faith versus their faith, right? Guys, we've got an enemy who hates unity. And so these are some of the challenges facing us in a very real way. So how can we positively move towards unity while recognizing some of these challenges? Well, I want to give you some unifying ideas. Unifying ideas. And here's unifying idea number one. It is unity in diversity. Remember who God is. We spoke about this last week. God is unity In diversity, God is three and God is one. Unity in diversity, in community, a community of love. And if we are made in his image, if we are to reflect that, then we too need to experience a unity in diversity so that we can become a community of love that reflects this kind of God. So how are we going to do that? Well, first and foremost, we are going to prioritize the things that unite us. And the things that ultimately unite us are not what we do and don't wear to church, are not music style or culture or the color of our our skin or coffee, or brownies, the thing, capital T-H-E, the thing that unites us is the fact that we are united in Christ. And so I have to prioritize my unity in Christ above all other things, including important things. And if I do that, I am able to Grow into the place whereby I can experience unity with any other Christian who is in Christ in the world. Regardless of what they look like, sound like, think like, what their preferences are. Because we have a common unity in Christ. But unity doesn't mean uniformity. God is not in the business of making robots. If anything, the church is made up of every tribe and every tongue. And God has redemptive purposes for our differences. Now, I love this picture. Quite literally, I love this picture. I don't know if you know this idea of a photo mosaic. Where they take a whole lot of thousands of photos of people's faces and they put them together in such a way that they make a single bigger face. And so on one hand, you can zone in and see the individual face and see the individual role, who they are. But then you zoom out and you see that this face is just one face amongst thousands. But that face is playing a role to develop a far bigger picture, a far more compelling picture, and in our case, of who Jesus is. The scriptures call the church the body of Christ. And it says that we're like members of a body, and the hand cannot say to the foot, I don't need you. 
You see, if the body wants to eat the donuts, the hand needs the foot to get to the donuts. But the mouth can't say to the hand, I don't need you. Because in order to eat the donut, the hand needs to go down to the donut. We need each other and therefore we need to learn to celebrate, to celebrate our differences. But this is difficult. Because I, I see this in marriage, I see this in relationships, and I see this in the church. Our tendency is to gravitate towards people who are just like us. So here's the thing, guys. I promise you, you don't want a church of two, three hundred Stephen Pullmans. I promise you, I will irritate you even more than I irritate you now. But I also don't want two, three hundred of you either. Right? The body of Christ is not 200 ears or 200 toes or 200 belly buttons. No, there is a unity in how we function together in Christ. And in order to do that, we need to celebrate our differences. So when we come across someone, someone we haven't met or someone we maybe even struggle with, we need to learn to say to ourselves, God wants to do something in my life through how he has uniquely made this person. Now granted, maybe this person is a diamond in the rough. Maybe God's got a lot of work to do before we can see some of these redemptive purposes. But to be honest, maybe you're the diamond in the rough. Maybe you're the one that God needs to work on so that you can see the redemptive purposes for God using people who are different to you in your life. Guys, we will be a better church if we learn how to do this. Now, in terms of a unifying idea, let's talk about preferences versus principles. Now, we're going to talk more about this next week. But one of the ways that we can break unity in the church is to elevate our preferences to the level that principles need to operate. See, principles, especially for us in the church, those are going to be more like fixed lines in the sand. Those are going to be principles we've seen clearly in Scripture. Those are going to be the kinds of things that define who and what we are as Christians. And it's going to be very difficult to find a lot of wriggle room around these principles. But then there are going to be our preferences. Some of you are like, well, I like worship loud and long and relational and I like lots of emotion. Some of you are like, well, I like worship kind of safe and confined and 15 minutes and I like the hymns and I don't like much emotion. Right. Some of you like long, expository, deeply theological sermons. Some of you like shorter, funny, practical sermons. We all have different preferences when it comes to how worship and church and preaching get done. But those are preferences, not principles. We're even going to get to issues of conscience. These are important issues. But we cannot elevate issues of conscience, which at some level is a well-thought-out preference, to the point of principles. So this is how Paul encourages us to think about these things. So with regards to issues of conscience, Paul says, as an example, with regards to the issues of eating and drinking, Paul says, listen, I'm persuaded that there is nothing unclean about what I eat or drink. 
All right, study the scriptures, prayed about it, and that's my position. But then he says, if you hold that position, but in how you live your conscience out, either you're judging those who think differently to you, or by you acting out your principles, you cause distress in somebody else. He says, now you're no longer acting in love. Now, in Paul's case, it's the issue of eating and drinking. In our case, maybe it is issues of eating and drinking. Maybe it's other preferences. There's a whole lot of issues that are making us so divided at the moment. Whether we do or don't vaccinate, whether we do or don't wear a mask, what do we think about the end times in this very turbulent moment of life? But Paul says, listen, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. These secondary issues, even things that seem important to you, the kingdom of God is of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. In other words, if I take my preferences, even issues of conscience, and I prioritize those to the point that it's like a principle in my life, and by doing that, I'm causing distress in the people around me, I'm not acting out of love. And so even if technically I'm right, I need to learn to take my need to be right. I need to learn to take my preference and put it aside for the sake of love and for the sake of the greater value, which is the kingdom of God, which is righteousness and peace and joy in the spirit. Because I want righteousness and peace and joy in the spirit far more than I want my way of doing worship, right? Another unifying idea we need to think about is we before me, we before me spoke about individualism earlier. And one of the ways we're going to combat individualism, and this is a tough one, is to think we before me. I often talk about this when I do a wedding. Right, Because if I'm in a relationship where I am meant to be united to this person, but it's me versus you, it's me over we. It's about what I think and what I want and what I feel over what we need together as a couple. And if I do that in the church, that's going to be a challenge to our unity. Now listen, let me show you one of the ways this works itself out. You see, in English, there's no plural for the word you. All right. So even those of you who look at other individualistic people and you're like, you're not one of those people. Here's what we do. We pick up the Bible and every time we see the word you, we go, ah, this verse is about me. But in Greek, which is the language the New Testament was written in, or Hebrew, which is the language most of the Old Testament was written in, there is a plural for the word you. And especially in the New Testament, most of the time the word you is used. It's not about you, the individual. It's about you, the plural. Now in English, we don't have that unless you live in Texas, in which case you've got y'all or all y'all. And so, for example, when we get to a verse like, don't you know that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? We're like, oh, that's amazing. I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
And this is all about me. And I get to do this on my own because I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. But what we miss out on is that that's a plural you. And where God is trying to say, don't you know that y'all, all y'all, y'all are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're one face amongst thousands of other faces. And together you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so these are some of the ideas that are going to help us work towards unity. Because if Jesus prioritizes unity, so do we. Now I want to end off with one final reality check. And that is, if we do all of this, if we pray this prayer, if we recognize some of the challenges that we have to unity, and we start living out these unifying ideas, does that mean that we're going to have this awesome little piece of heaven on earth called Riverside Community Church? And the answer is kind of, but it is not going to be perfect. We will still experience unity and division. And the reason is, you're still a sinner. I'm still a sinner. I'm saved by grace. And because of Christ's righteousness, God sees me as righteous. But he is not done with me yet. Which means I still have sin in my life and so do you. You still have blind spots. You still have biases. You still have presuppositions. You still have areas that God is wanting to work in and you're resisting him. And for that reason, we're going to come together and I hate to tell you this, but there is still going to be conflict. Guys, we see conflict in the Bible. Paul experienced conflict with Peter. Paul experienced conflict with his mentor Barnabas and John Mark. We see conflict in the book of Corinth. We see conflict in the book of Galatians. We see conflict in the Bible and we see conflict in our churches. Now I don't have time to speak about how we can resolve conflict in godly ways. We did a series called Relation Slips a number of years ago. I know it's not on YouTube, but if you go to our podcast or our website, just go back a number of years, you'll find it. It's an incredible resource for how we can just do conflict in wise and godly ways. But the reality is, despite our best efforts, we are still going to experience conflicts. There are going to be extreme times when conflict is still going to divide us. And this may shock you. There are even times where the Bible tells us to take certain divisive actions. For example, Titus 3 verse 10 says, Warn a divisive person once, warn them a second time, and after that have nothing to do with them. But, but, but Stephen, that's divisive. Well, sometimes I need to be divisive after trying everything with this one person so that we don't have division in the whole body. Now, that's an extreme circumstance. But all I'm trying to prepare you for is that just because we strive for unity doesn't mean there will not be any conflict. And let me tell you, the easiest thing for you to do when you experience this is to take a duck. It's to go somewhere else or to go nowhere at all. American pastor Matt Chandler, he says he's kind of observed that it takes about seven years for many Christians to decide they need to go to a new church. And what he means by that is 
Once you've gone past the first few nice layers of getting to know people, it takes about seven years before some of our ugliness comes out, before some of our sin, before some of our brokenness starts creating difficulty in relationships. And unless we choose to deal with that, we're just going to go somewhere else and start over for another seven years. And then so the cycle is going to go on. Now listen, Jesus says, our unity... Our unity can show the world a powerful message about who our unified God is. And so I'm calling you to engage. I'm calling you to the challenge. I'm calling you to endure patiently and in godly ways some of the difficulties of what it means to push in towards unity as a church. But I know Jesus wants this for us. But we need Him. We need a supernatural love and bond of peace that is going to enable us to represent God well to this world. So let's pray, declaring our dependency upon Him. Father, You are a beautiful picture of love and relationship and unity and community. And God, we know that in so many ways I fall short of that and we collectively fall short of that. God, you're not just asking us to try and be like you. You're asking us to be in you and you in us. And so that we are transformed by your love and your presence and our collective experience of our unity in you. And so, Jesus, I ask as the pastor of this church, for more of you, a greater manifest sense of us in you and you in us. And yes, there are some people sitting on their own in front of a device right now. I pray that they would experience unity with you. I pray too that they would experience unity with your church. Father, maybe others of us are with our families or husband and wife. And it is very easy still for us to feel isolated from the rest of your people. God, we are together in you. And today we are choosing unity. Even when it means we need to humble ourselves and roll up our sleeves, we are choosing unity. Because that's what you prioritize for us. Help us, Lord. Amen.